What's up, Revolution? That was lame. Do it again. What's up, Revolution? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Someone had that wolf whistle down. You should be a construction worker. Um, yeah. So, Thanksgiving is going down this Thursday. Who's pumped for that? Anyone? No one cares about Thanksgiving? Like, let's just get to Christmas. Like, forget it. Like, we don't... Really? Like, uh, uh, I'm not that kind of guy. All right? So, it's going to be good times for me and my family. That means we're going to eat too much, and then we're going to sit around a table and play poker, and my grandparents are card sharks, and they're going to take all the money from the rest of the family. Um, and we also all know what Thanksgiving means, right? Thursday's Thanksgiving. What comes on Friday? Yeah, Black Friday. It's going to be a great time. Uh, Black Friday is, what did I read on Facebook? It is the, the one day a year that people fight to buy things that they don't need after spending the whole day before being thankful for the things they already have. Um, yeah, it's beautiful, right? Like Black Friday, like I personally love it because it's the one day a year that grown men and women will fist fight over Elmo and Frozen merchandise. Like I think that is awesome. Um, right? But we joke about it, but it's, it's actually kind of, it's, it's pathetic and sad, right? Um, that, that people fight over stuff on Black Friday or getting the best sale. Um, but again, with Thanksgiving out of the way, the Christmas season is going to start on Friday. Because if you're like a normal human being, Christmas season doesn't start until the day after Thanksgiving. Can I get an amen from any of the men in the room? Yes, thank you. My mother is a psychopath and has been listening to Christmas music since June. Um, and her Christmas stuff has been up since Halloween. Um, God bless her, right? I mean, she's adorable. <laughs> She's covering her face in the back. I think I embarrassed her. That is awesome. Um, right, but a part of the Christmas season is, um, again, this is American culture. Part of Christmas is people go in debt, right? People go in debt during the Christmas season uh, because they, they buy too much, right? And they, and they spend too much on stuff they don't need. There, there's actually a band I listen to, and they're not a Christian band. They're called Stray from the Path. Um, and in one of their songs, they have a song called Black Friday. And it says, too many people buying too many things they don't even need. They're just following the American greed. That's right on. Like, that's super metal, and that's incredibly true, and, like, shame on us as a culture. Um, But I think that really hits the nail on the head for how we tend to treat the holiday season, right? Um, If you're a Christian here, um, this should be a a time for us to be celebrating the generosity of Christ, right? Like, think about that for Christmas. Like, that's really what we should be celebrating, that God would pour himself out uh, from heaven, abandon all of his riches there, take on flesh, become a human being like the rest of us. Um, and then whenever he did that, he was poor. He lived simply. He had a heart for the poor. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick, right? He hung out with people that no one else would hang out with. And ultimately, he gave himself on the cross in our place in order to save us from our sin, to save us from God's wrath. Like, that is, a, that is the most generous thing I've ever heard of. Suffering God the Father's wrath in our place. Like, that's what we should be focusing on. But instead, we generally use the Christmas season as a time to be ridiculously selfish. Um, it's all about us, right? It's, it's what we want, um, like our Amazon wish lists, right? We're, like, emailing that and, like, faxing that, if anyone still faxes aside from my family. Like, like hey, man, like this is all the crap that I want this year. Um, it's all about me, 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 and what I want. Or maybe that's not you. I, I recognize that that might be unfair to say. Maybe you're a gift giver, um, and that makes you really happy, and that's awesome. Um, but generally, even whenever we're like generous and want to give gifts, usually we're really just concerned with giving to those who already have. right? Because usually if you're fairly affluent, most of the people around you are fairly affluent, and those are the people that you're going to give to. You're not going out of your way to make friends with the poor and give them things. Um, but on a deeper level, 
right? Like, forget about Christmas, which might be the most, like, unpreacher thing to say. Like, let's forget Christmas. Just toss that one aside. The holiday was started by the pagans anyway. Um, that was a joke. If you're new here to Revolution, I apologize if you're offended. Um, but on a deeper level, let's forget about Christmas for a second. Um, what do we do with our money? Right? What do we do with our cash? Just a few things to think about. How do we view our money? Right? What, what do we think the purpose of money is? Um, you know, and how often do we use our excess? And most of us have excess cash. Most of us have more than we need. How often do we use that for the benefit of other people? Now, that's what I kind of want us to have in our mind this evening. Right? And I say that because charity right, um, or open-handedness with our resources is talked about all over Scripture. Um, it is to be one of the absolute, like, foremost distinguishing traits of Christians. Um, but we don't like to do that because it makes us uncomfortable, right? Giving is not natural. <laughs> like, I want what I want, and I don't really want to give it to anyone else because what if that jeopardizes my security in the future? I like my cash and my bank account, not yours. Um, and yet Jesus doesn't care what comes naturally for us at all. He actually, he actually says, like, hey, if you follow me and put your faith in me, I'll give you, like, this supernatural ability to do that which is unnatural for you, to obey me. Um, Jesus says that this life is not all about money. It's actually about knowing God and loving God and being in a right relationship with God. And something Jesus is adamant on, and the whole Bible is, is loving God results in loving people. Right? Jesus has two great commands, right? Love God, love other people. And something that I've come to realize as I'm, studying the Bible more and more, if you don't do the second, you don't do the first. If you don't love people, if you don't help people, if you're not generous and charitable towards people, then you don't love God, right? Um, So, if you can't tell, money is the topic this evening. Uh, So, this is going to be a good time. Um, But I'll say this. I know a lot of you dudes are in college, and that's cool. I'm I'm proud of you. Do what I didn't do, right? I took one for the team, dropped out, uh, so you guys could have my scholarship money. But anyway, um, don't... (laughs) Yeah, that's, I was generous, you know, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like, don't tune me out if you're here uh, just because you think that you're broke. All right, because I'll, I'll throw this out to you. Me and Ryan were just talking about this a minute ago. Um, from God's perspective, we're all rich. We're all rich. Think about it. God sees not only Bill Gates, but he sees, like, the, the poor child in a third world country that lives off of, like, a dime a day. Right? He sees us both, and from his perspective... He would call us rich. And what does Jesus say about the rich? He, he gives warnings to the rich, left and right. Right? He says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. This is like the idea of like greedy rich. So don't buy the whole like eye of a needle, camel going through that is just really hard to do, but it's possible. No, like it's freaking impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Like let's be honest here for a second. Right? But a greedy person can't go to heaven. Right? So we can't be bound by money. Um, we've got to be willing to look at our possessions differently so that we can display Christ to other people. All right, so Jesus, as we're walking through Luke, you guys know that we've been going through Luke for like a year and a half now. Um, Jesus is going to give us a parable here. And it's not a really very well-known one. Last week we did the prodigal son, um, and everyone knew that one pretty much. But this week is one that I had never heard growing up my whole life. Um, and it's about a dishonest manager and how he uses his resources to further his earthly life. And Jesus is going to want us to take this man's concern with his life here and use that concern as an example um, of how concerned we should be with using our resources to set us up for the next life. All right? 
So this is going to be a good time. I'm excited. We're in Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. Uh, If you're here and you're new and you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have at home is hard to understand, um, take one of our blue Bibles there in those pews. Take it home with you. There's no these and thous and words that you need a dictionary for. Uh, It's good times. You should take one of those home with you. Um, But Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1, let's, let's jump into the parable. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Now, real quick, a few words about the manager. All right, a manager, um, the kind of manager Jesus is referring to here is probably some form of like high-level slave. All right, that he would be in charge of his master's estate, um, all of his affairs, right? Because usually if there's like a rich man, like Jesus said, there was a certain rich man. Uh, this guy probably owns multiple estates, so you can't be everywhere at once. That's a God thing. You can't do that as a human being. So he has slaves watching all of his stuff, managing his affairs. So this slave, this manager, is going to be doing business on behalf of the master, right? So whatever uh, that the slave says, if he makes a, a business agreement, it's, it's legally binding on the master to pay up or a loan or whatever it might be. And it's the manager's job to make his master more money. Right? That's usually how business works with managers. You make your employer more money. Uh, but what I want us to focus on, just real quick in these, in these first two verses, is um, it says, One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Uh, he was wasting it. Uh, there's a lot of debate on like, the finer points. It's, like, seriously, like, it's funny. Like, I'm not going to bore you with all the details. But, like, it's like, one of the most debated um, parables in the whole Bible. Like, this is fun. Um, but he may be was stealing Maybe he was just an incompetent person with money. He was just a bad manager. But regardless, he was wasting his master's resources. So the question I kind of want us to ask ourselves is, what do I waste money on? Right? What, do I, what do I waste that doesn't really belong to me? And we'll get into that more later. But keep in mind this. Um, God calls all who worship him, all who's going to follow Jesus, to be good stewards of what they have. Right? To use what they have wisely for God's purposes. That's a huge theme across the Bible. Uh, but picking it back up in verse 3. The manager thought to himself, he's going to be fired, right? He says, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man, the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Throwing that out there, dishonest rascal. Like, the NLT is a pretty good translation most of the time. Like, that is hilarious. Like, all I can think of, like, is alfalfa and buckwheat and, like, Petey the dog. Like, yeah, like, that's all I could think of was, like, the movie Little Rascals I watched on the ground. I'm sorry, it's a little rascal. Um, in the ESV, it's better. It's like he like paints him like, this dude is wicked. Like he's like an unrighteous, dishonest man. All right, so I just want to throw that out. NLT kind of sounds childish here. Um, but he had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, 
when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So summary of the parable, real quick, just to, to get our bearings again. One, the manager knows he's going to be fired. Right? He's a slave. If he's, if he's fired from his job, that means that, that he's homeless now. He's going to have no money. He's going to have no food. Right? But he's not turned the books in yet. Right? He's still got a little bit of leverage on the master. He's got to turn in his managing books to the guy. So he's not lost his job yet. So two, what's he do? He goes and he uses his resources. Right? He still has this ace in the hole. Right? He's still got the books. He's going to use his resources to benefit other people and ultimately benefit himself. So what does he do? He cuts everyone huge deals on their debts. Right, like 800 gallons of olive oil, that was like four or five years worth of money for somebody. So he's cutting them huge, huge deals on this. And his idea is, I'm going to make friends, right, so that they're going to give me a place to stay later whenever I'm homeless and have no job and have no food. Um, so what do we see here? To sum it all up, the, the third thing I wanted to say is the manager was focused on the end game of his life, right? Life after this job that he has that he's getting ready to lose. He's focused on the earthly end game, and what does he do? He takes appropriate measures, right? He's very shrewd. He's very crafty. He's very cunning with his resources that he has in order to secure himself a good life after he loses his job. So he acted on what he knew he should do. So what Jesus is saying is if ungodly people, right, this dishonest rascal, right, if, if ungodly people are this willing to act on behalf of their best interest, to, to act on behalf of their personal end game, how much more should we as Christians act on our end game? That's what he's saying, right? But what does Jesus mean by end game, right? I know he didn't say end game. I'm putting words in his mouth a little bit there. I get that. What, what do I think Jesus is getting at here? Um, a few, few ways to say it. An ungodly person will help people, right, use their resources in order to secure a temporary place to stay here, Right, so how much more should we help other people if we desire an eternal place to stay with Jesus? Right? Or an ungodly person will act and plan to get a good life here that's going to end. Right? Because usually we're going to die by the time we're like 70 or 80. I know it sounds really grim, but like, it is what it is. I've accepted that. You probably should too. Um, so if they're going to do that, then how much more should we act if we desire heaven, which will never end? Right? It's like a lesser to greater argument. Jesus uses them all the time. Right? So that's the big point of Jesus' parable. Right? Keep the true end game, keep heaven in mind. And that's going to direct your actions here. And this parable is specifically referring to, it's going to direct how you handle your resources, handle your money. Right? And if you're absolutely broke, that would be your time as well. What you do, your services you render to people. So if we're keeping, if we're keeping like our eyes on heaven, to borrow some Baptist phrases, um, then that's going to lead us to generosity. Right? It's going to lead us to live with open hands. Right? But verse 9, Jesus says something that I, I thought was really interesting. He says, use, worldly, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Right? And real quick, he's not telling you to buy friends. Right? That's, that's kind of what I thought when I was reading. You tell me to buy friends, Jesus? Uh, but he's saying this. Use what you have. Right? Um, because as we benefit people with what we have, and think about that concept for a second. Use what you have to benefit other people. We don't tend to think that way, but use what you have to benefit others. And in doing that, you make a connection with somebody. You show them that you care. You are willing to lessen what you have so that they could increase in what they do. That's what friends do for one another. You're letting them know that you love them because you don't do that for people that you don't care about, generally speaking, um, unless the government makes you. Um, there we go. It's a Republican joke for the evening. Some of you don't think that's funny. That's all right. Um, I'm not telling you to be a Republican. I just kind of... Whatever. I'm going to get in trouble. We're going to lose our tax-exempt status. Um, and, 
All right, and Jesus says that in living this way, right, in living this open-handed kind of a way, that we can be sure to know that we will have a home with him forever. I think that's what he's driving at, right? Live this way. Live open-handedly. Be generous to, towards other people who don't have, and you will secure your place with him. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking what I think a lot anytime, talks, anytime someone talks like this. That sounds an awful lot like work salvation, right? So, like, you're telling me that, like, if I give my money away, I'll go to heaven, Absolutely not. That's not what I'm getting at. Like tithing, like giving your money to the church, um, you know, helping homeless people, stopping and buying them food, donating your money to the homeless shelter, buying people dinner, or doing the thing where I'm going to buy this next guy's coffee uh, behind me in line. You always see people who do that in Starbucks once in a while. It's kind of cool. But doing stuff like that, right? Good deeds won't save you. Right, just want to make that really clear. Like, this is not Islam, where like if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, like you'll go to heaven. Like, that's not what I'm telling you guys here. I'm not saying that giving money away in and of itself is even godly, um, but I, I am saying this, and Jesus says this, and the Bible says this almost to the point that it makes you like sick that it says it so much. Faith in Jesus always results in a changed life. That's what I'm getting at. Always results in a changed life. Um, like you can separate faith and good works on paper. Right? Because, like, it's faith alone that saves, but then you must have good works. Right? So, like, you can separate them, like, theologically on paper if you want to be a nerd and say, well, this is when I became, like, right with God, and these are the good works that I do. But practically, like, in the real world, you can't divorce them whatsoever. If you have faith, you'll have good works. If you don't have faith, you won't have good works. That's just how it works out. Um, But here, Jesus is saying generosity is a dominant trait of true faith. Right? And that makes sense to me. Like, that really makes sense. Like, to believe the gospel, uh, to believe this good news that Jesus came to proclaim, is that Jesus gave his life, right? That he, like I said earlier, he abandoned perfection and all riches in heaven. To to believe that, that he did that for us, is going to cause you to want to imitate that. And I say that because we always want to imitate the ones that we admire, we always want to imitate the ones that we love, right? Like, some of you guys didn't know me when I was 16 years old, but I used to have, like, this, this little chin strap beard thing because I thought Bam Margera was, like, the coolest human being that ever lived. So, like, I had, like, one of those. And I was, like, always listening to, like, the band Him and, like, had hardograms drawn on everything. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, whatever. Uh, he's a skateboarder, and uh, I couldn't skate to save my life, but I could look like him. I was, like, a fat Bam Margera in the sixth grade. Um, <laughs> Or maybe to give you like a more somber example of like imitating someone you admire and love. Uh, Think about the the son whose dad is a mechanic, right? Like what is that son going to do? Dad's the coolest person ever, right? If he's being a good dad and the son's going to want to be like the dad. So what's the son going to learn how to do? He's going to learn how to fix cars because he wants to be like his dad. He wants to like do what his dad does. He thinks it's cool. So in that same way, if we really believe that Jesus has done this for us, we should want to do the same. So Jesus is telling us that as the manager was planning and acting, so should we. That we should be helping others with what we have. He's saying that we should be shrewd, right? We should be shrewd with our dealings and our money. We should be very cunning, very keenly aware of what we're doing, what we're spending, who we're giving to. But then he says this in verse 8, he says, as children of light, right? He calls us children of light, which is really cool, because I don't think of myself that way ever, because I'm a big fat sinner like the rest of you. Um, But as children of light, our shrewdness might look like foolishness. Hear me on that. Your shrewdness as a child of God might look like foolishness. And I say that because my family owns businesses. I'm just throwing this out to you. If you've never taken a business class at Shawnee, I'm going to teach you something. Giving away your money 
giving away your possessions and giving away your time is an awful business model. Right? Just giving that away. Like you're not going to cash in on that. That is terrible. You will go under very quickly. But Jesus says in God's kingdom, that is the greatest investment that you could ever make. Right? Think about that. Like how radically countercultural is that? Like Jesus says, like we all we all know like Jesus says like some, some crazy stuff sometimes. Like this one, like really like cracks me in the face. Like this is so countercultural. To give is gain. To give away what I have is to gain something. That's nuts, right? Like, that's so foreign to us. I know that we say stuff like, uh, like life's not about money. Like, Facebook. Like, I always hear, like, a white girl in my head, like, like, 1980s Valley girl, like, talking in my brain whenever I see those posts. Like, life is really about your family and having the ones you love close to you on Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, it's what you always hear. Uh, it's what you read, right? Everyone's always pumping stuff like that uh, onto social media because, like, it makes you, like, it makes you tingle in your chest a little bit. You're like, oh, that sounds so right. Um, <laughs> it's because it is. It's good and right. But I'll say this. We say a lot of crap like that. Um, not that it's crap. Why did I say that? We say a lot of stuff like that. Um, But everything else about us, in general, everything else about us screams that we're lying. Just throwing that out to you. Like, we want, and we want, and we want, and it never ends, and we never have enough, and we always want the next thing. Like, we're always pursuing more. That's part of our culture, right? And if you don't believe me, just, again, throwing this out to you, we always want the newest phones, we always want the new, like, I know people that get phones, like, every, like, six months to a year, which is crazy to me, but, like, I want it, too. Like, I'm just too cheap to buy it. Like, I want the new phone. I'm just cheap, right? Or, like, people will be like, hey, man, did you check out this new iPad I got? I'm like, dude, you just got an iPad six months ago, and that one looks like the same freaking one you had. It's just thinner. Like, <laughs> like, that, like the iPad Air or, like, whatever. Like, come on. Like, we always want the newest tech, the newest phone. If you have a house, you usually want a bigger house, or you want a pool, or you want a bigger privacy fence, or... Ten German shepherds to protect anyone that would ever want to like visit you, like to keep them out. Um, you know, or you want a newer car if you have a car. You want new clothes whenever the clothes you have are, are fine, right? You see the point that I'm making. And if you don't believe me, what's your Amazon wish list look like, <laughs> right? Like, am I the only one that's a pagan and uses Amazon? <laughs> I'm just like just everything that I ever wanted is on there. Um, just real quick, how, how many things are on there that are for someone else? Just throwing that to you. Um, and furthermore, a lot of us may be in fields, right, working, or maybe you have a major. You don't even like it, man. Like, you don't even like your job. You don't even like the major you're in, but you've picked what you've picked purely because you can make the most money that you could think of with your skill set. You don't even like your job. You don't even like what you're learning, but you're going to make that money, man. Like, little Wayne, do something else and get money. Um, just throwing that. That's fun. Um, but what do we do? Right? We, we work, and we budget, and we save. You work, you budget, you save. That's what we're told to do from the time that you're in school. And why? Why are we told to do that? So that we can get comfortable, right? We can amass our wealth, get comfortable, get whatever toys that we want, and retire. Hopefully retire around 60 or 65 years old and never work again and live the rest of our life in ease and be fairly comfortable in the meantime. That's the American dream, right? Jesus says that's a nightmare, period. He says that that kind of selfish living where it's all about you and what you want, that that ends with hell. That ends with the wrath of God on you because that kind of a lifestyle proves that we don't know Jesus. And I say that because if we have an excess while people around us have nothing. 
That's ungodly. That is not what Jesus did at all. He walked around homeless, giving whatever to whoever as he saw that they needed. For us to be selfish shows that we don't know him. But this is kind of cool. I'm a nerd. Um, While I was studying for this sermon, um, I I discovered a word. I didn't discover it. I learned the word. That would be cool to discover a word. Um, I, I I learned the word mammon. Right? And I love learning Greek words, um, probably because I'll never, like, learn actual Greek, uh, like, how to speak it or read it. But, like, just the one word, like, every couple of months, it makes me feel smarter. Uh, Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But I learned this word mammon. And mammon means this. Whenever we see in this passage that we just read, mammon is the word that they use for money or possessions or worldly resources um, wealth, whatever, depending on what translation you read at home. That's the word mammon. Um, but it's deeper than that. It doesn't just mean possessions. It doesn't just mean money. Uh, this is kind of cool. Like Jesus, whenever he uses this word, he presents it like an idol. Like he presents it like a false god. Um, so mammon, uh, wealth, possessions, um, it's, it's anything that we cling to that makes us feel secure. That's mammon. Anything that we cling to that makes us feel secure. Um, I think we cling to money like that. Um, That's just what I see. Like, you have more, um, so you have more peace. Right? And no one listens to Biggie Smalls, right? More money, more problems. Dave Merrill in the back knows what's up. Um, He always knows what's up when I make, like, an early 90s to mid-90s, like, gangster rap reference. You're an OG, Dave. I love you. Uh, anyway, right? But like, if you have more money, you'll have more peace. That's generally our, our mindset towards cash. And what I mean by that is, if I have a hundred grand in the bank, my future is okay. That's what I mean by we have more peace. Um, and just to let you guys know, greed, and I'll just be totally transparent. Porn and greed. Those are the two biggest struggles that I've ever had in my whole life as a Christian. And the porn one's starting to go away more and more and more the longer I'm a Christian. And greed has now cropped up and has become very apparent to me. God has shown me that. Um, and I just want to just come clean with you. Um, talking about feeling secure with our cash. Uh, I used to not trust banks at all because uh, you think I was a great depression survivor. And uh, I, would like, I would like rat hole my money in my house. And like no one knew where it was but me and Steve when I lived in the Rev house. Uh, <laughs> but I would just hide money. Uh, just seriously, just hide money all over the place. And um, whenever I would get upset or I'd be thinking about, I've got to put a down payment on this house that I'm going to buy for me in autumn to live in or, you know, this broke and I need to repair this or whatever it was and I started to get stressed out about money, I would go find my money and I knew exactly down to the dollar how much I had, but I'd count it anyway. And I'd walk around my room holding the money in my hand and it gave me peace to hold all the money that I knew I had. Like, I'm just letting you, like, this is like an insight into, like, your own pastor's wickedness right now. Like, it gave me peace to know how much cash that I had in my hand. Because I felt like, this is my salvation. This is what's going to make me feel better. This is my security for the future. And I think that's the mentality that causes us to buy into the lie of the American dream. It's going to make me all right later. And Jesus tells us to wake up from that. It's like, that's not true. And he tells us to wake up by reminding us something so important. And we forget it so easily. And everyone says it with their mouth, but forgets it in their heart all the time. Verse 9, he says, when your earthly possessions are gone. ESV knocks it out of the park with with their translation. He says, when it fails. 
when your money fails you, when it's gone, when it's done, whenever you realize that it can't do anything for you. So the God of the universe, Jesus, says point blank, money and stuff is going to fail you. Jesus is reminding us here that there is no security in cash. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are some of the most wealthy people that I've ever met in my life. Money can't keep you from suffering. Money can't make you happy. Money can't keep you from getting sick. Money can't keep your loved ones from dying. Money can't keep you from dying. And money definitely can't save you from hell. So if money can't help you in the eternal end game, what's it worth? I think that's what Jesus is really like digging at here. Right? Only a right relationship with Christ can help us. Only true faith that Jesus has taken our punishment in our place on the cross, that he poured himself out for us, suffering what we deserve. Only that can help us. Only Jesus can make us righteous. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can give us peace and comfort no matter what happens. Only Jesus can give us joy if the bank burns tomorrow and I lose everything. Only Jesus can give joy. He's God. He will never fail. Consider that. Really, like, think about that. He won't fail. He is the end all of all things, right? Like, that's awesome to think about. It doesn't get any better than him. It really doesn't. And the fruit of that kind of faith, the fruit of that kind of relationship with Jesus, really knowing and resting and trusting in that, is generosity. It's not the only one, but it's a big one. But Jesus is going to give us even more reasons to live that kind of way. And what's awesome about Jesus is he's not like this religious jerk that just beats on your will and says, do better. He doesn't doesn't do that, which I think is awesome. Um, He actually goes after our hearts. And he does that by giving us a better perspective. All right, so this is really cool. Here's a better perspective. Verse 10 through 12. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are trustworthy, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Right? So again, I'm just going to kind of repeat what he said. Jesus is saying that if we aren't faithful with little things, we won't be faithful with big things. This is a common biblical principle. Right? If you're not careful with 10 bucks, I'm not going to give you 100 bucks. Right? If you blow 10 bucks, why would I give you more? Jesus is making that kind of an argument. So he's saying that if we are not good stewards, right, if we don't disperse well what we've been given here with earthly possessions and money, then why would he give us eternal riches with him forever? It doesn't make sense for him to do that. It wouldn't make sense at all. But the last thing that Jesus said in verse 12 is what gets me the most. And it has huge implications for us. It's that different perspective I was talking about. He says, other people's things. If you aren't careful, if you're not trustworthy with other people's things. Because of the verse that comes before that where he's talking about riches in heaven and earthly possessions, I think other people's things, he's referring to God's things. Now, let's think about that perspective for a second. If you're not careful with God's things, why would he give you anything of your own? Which leads me to this. That means that your stuff is not your stuff. We don't like that. Like We don't like that idea at all, but your stuff does not actually belong to you. And we get this backward a lot, right? right? We think, well, I worked for it. I saved it. It's in my bank account. It's in my name. I own it. No one can tell me what to do. That is for me and what I want to do with it. It's mine. We get that backward, and we don't think this. Um, why do you have what you have? Why do you have the job you have? If God said you wouldn't get the job, you wouldn't get the job. If God didn't give you the physical or mental capabilities 
you wouldn't be able to work. If God didn't put you in the right place at the right time, you wouldn't have anything. If God says your house burns tonight, it burns tonight and you have nothing. Everything that you have is His. And He's given it to you, right? James tells us in in the book of James, in the first chapter, he says, every good and perfect thing that we have is a gift from our Father. He owns everything. All right, but let's think deeper about that. This, this isn't just a, you know, God runs things and like Jesus is like hitting his chest, which is how I like to usually think of Jesus because we have like South Park Jesus in our minds most of the time. Um, but that's not just like a God runs things idea that Jesus wants you to get. Um, consider this. It's deeper than that. If everything really belongs to God, this blew my doors off. Everything truly belongs to God and yet we possess some of it. Think about that for a second. It all belongs to him, and you own a piece of it. He's given it to you. Doesn't that really show you the heart of God here? He owns it all, and he's freely given it to us. Think about that. All we really deserve to possess is his wrath. That's it. We all sin. We all spit in his face and do what we want to do. We want to hoard our money. We want to treat people unkindly. We want to be selfish. We want to be rude to people. We don't want to do what he says to do. All we deserve is damnation. And yet he says, not only will I give you my son crucified in your place, but here's a home, here's a family, here's excess income, here's food. Think about the heart of God. He is a good, gift-giving father. Think about that. That's the heart of our God. And again, to truly appreciate that aspect of him is to desire to imitate it. Like the kid with the mechanic for a dad. You would want to be like that. So if God delights to give gifts to us, how much more should we delight to do the same to people around us? God is actually inviting us in to do what he does. Like how big of a privilege is that? That's crazy. Hey, be like me. Do what I do. I've actually given you the means to do it. It's an incredible privilege. So if God gives us an abundance... If God gives me an abundance, and so I can bless other people. And if I'm selfish with it, he's not going to give me anything in the next life. Bad stewards don't get more. Which leads me to this conclusion. Heaven is for the generous. Heaven is for the generous. There is no place in the kingdom of God for the self-centered, selfish people. It doesn't make any sense. It's not compatible with God's nature. It's anti-God's nature, and he won't have it. You won't have any part of it. Again, I'll, I'll say it again. It's because how we live gives proof of whether or not we actually have faith. It's not the giving that saves, but true faith in Christ produces this kind of a life. But then Jesus is going to sum up this whole teaching with one of the most heavy-hitting verses in the Bible. Uh, for me, verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve, right? Like I read this in a commentary. Not that you shouldn't serve both, but you can't. Like it's actually impossible that you can try, but you'll end up serving money. And why why is that? Because to serve God... To do what he does, to live in this generous way, is to spit in the face of money at times. It's to spit in the face of the pursuit of a larger bank account because you're willing to give to someone else. And then conversely, to chase money as your priority day in and day out is to spit in the face of God as he commands you to go and give. And God won't play second fiddle to anybody. He says, like, I am it or I am nothing to you at all. 
And it's all idolatry, really. That's why he says you can't serve both. To serve anything but God, to pursue anything over God or desire anything over God is to worship a false God. So Jesus says you have to choose one or the other. Are you going to choose the one that fails? The one that has no eternal real value? Or are you going to choose the one who doesn't fail and who loves you and has shown his love for you in giving himself for you and then giving you everything else that you have? And ultimately, Jesus leads us to the best choice by his own example. All right, he never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done first himself. Remember that. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus left heaven, became poor, hated, took God's wrath, gave his life. He was generous for us. Surely Jesus is more attractive than the money that will fail us. Surely he would be more attractive. But to know Jesus is to follow him. And to follow him is to live like him. And to live like him is to give with reckless abandon. That's just how it works. Whether it be your time, your service towards other people, your cash, your possessions, whatever you have. To give recklessly. And I know that there are people here, that I, at least if you're like me, anytime that I ever hear a sermon on money, you're probably thinking, dude, you're being like a tad extreme. Right? Saying that like if I don't give some of my stuff away that I'm not a Christian, maybe you're being a little bit extreme. Um, or that I'm saying that, uh, that, that being wealthy is bad. And that's, that's not true at all. And you can, you can think what you want, but listen to me. Don't you dare for one second ignore this teaching. Like Jesus spoke too often, too many times about money and giving for us to ignore him on this. You, you can't. It's a wicked heart that tries to tone down, tame, or ignore what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus is either Lord of your whole life or he's Lord of none of it. Don't try to tame him. He can't be tamed. He's a lion. Don't try to tame down what he's saying. So what, what I'm doing now is I'm going to challenge every Christian in here, every true believer, give more. Give more. Um, you know, we can all give more. We just don't want to. And that's because we're internally holding on to a false hope in money for security. Jesus is calling us, let it go, man. Like, be radical. Be a disciple. Do stuff that doesn't make sense to other people. Be shrewd as a child of light. Right? Be shrewd in his eyes. But I know some of you guys, maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you don't know where to start. So I got a handful of ideas for you guys um, that you can do regularly. Because um, the last thing I want you guys to do is give once and then think, hey, good to go, man. I gave 50 bucks one time. We're solid. Uh, I gave my little bit. Jesus, we're cool. Um, the first one is this. Tithe. This makes you a tad uncomfortable to say because I know what preachers usually sound like when they're talking about tithing. Usually they're on TV and their last name is Dollar. Um, yeah, some of you guys watch TBN. Um, but yeah, tithe, man. If you've got a job or any kind of like regular source of income, tithe. I'm not going to tell you what percentage or anything like that because the New Testament says God loves a cheerful giver, so give as you feel led. But tithe to the church if you're not. If this is your home, tithe here. If this isn't your home, tithe to your home. Right, give your money. That's a regular thing. Um, cradle, right? Allie, she just walked out of here, I think. Allie, uh, Allie, oh, she's right there. I'm sorry. Allie works for, yeah, I saw some people. I'm sorry. Uh, Allie works for Cradle, and they're like a, a women's shelter that's like very pro-life. 
um, gives biblical counseling. Like whenever women think that they have nowhere else to go and they're considering abortion, Cradle steps in and says, hey, we'll help you. We'll show you what options that you really have. You can give to them. They need money. They need funding. You can give to Cradle. It's just right down the, right down the street from here. Um, there's the homeless shelter on the other side of town. I know that they're always taking money because they're always turning people away. Um, there's the Salvation Army right down the street. They're always taking donations, clothes, food, anything and everything. Um, you know, there's, and there's this. I, I do this every month. It's called Children International. Um, it's like sponsoring a child. Children International is a pretty solid group. I'd recommend you guys if you want to sponsor a kid. It's like 30 bucks a month. I recommend you guys do that. Um, but those are all ways that you can give regularly. Right? And, and I'll say this. Jesus doesn't tell us to give so much. How do I say this? It's not just because it benefits the person that you're giving it to. And I don't mean, oh, you'll feel so good and warm inside. And that's your like, reward for giving. That's not what I mean. But like, the more you give and the more frequently you give, the less of a hold on you that money has. Because you're used to it just going out of your hand. It's not that big of a deal. The more you give, the easier it is to give. But those are five ideas that you can give regularly to. And I would encourage you to do that. But if you're really feeling froggy, um, this evening, you got an opportunity to do it now and put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> I love puns. Um, in the back of the church where you guys had coffee in the Fuel the Revolution bucket, there is a little, like, old school, one of these. Remember these, getting these passed around while, like, people played, like, a roll-up beat him and no one sang? It was fun. Um, but, yeah, there's one of those back there with a sign behind it that says East End Fund. And something that we do every year um, around this time is we try to give uh, Christmas presents to people in the East End or people um, here in our own congregation that need help. And, um, and we're not rich. I don't know if you guys have, like, looked around. We don't even have our own building. <laughs> We've moved, like, four or five times in, like, seven years. Um, so, like, we can use anything and everything that you guys would give. Um, so, again, if you want to kind of put up or shut up this evening, there's, there's that back there um, that you guys can give to, and I would really encourage you to do it. Um, but listen, whatever it is that you decide to do with your stuff, and if you have not a dime to your name, nothing to give, give your time. We do service opportunities in the East End. Give your time if you don't have cash. If you legitimately have nothing, give your time. But whatever it is that you decide to do, just do something. Just do something. That's what I'm encouraging you to do, is do something. And don't do it because I've beat on your will and I've made you feel bad, but do it because you desire to be like your father. Your true Father, your Heavenly Father. You know, and Jesus leaves this concept of generosity pretty open-ended. Do what you can with what you've got. That's what he's throwing out at us. Do what you can with what you've got. And you know what is generous, and you know what is just trying to appease your conscience. You know what true generosity is for you. That's between you and God. Um, but I'm going to leave you guys with some godly wisdom on generosity by C.S. Lewis. And then we'll end this. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. Let's pray.
Father, you give us everything, and we deserve nothing but your righteous anger for eternity. Thank you for just being good to us and showing us grace. Holy Spirit, give us, give us the desire and the ability to imitate Jesus. Help us to be generous. And let it not be a one-time thing to appease our conscience, but help us to be generous in, in all areas of our life. And help us to do that so we can point people to the reason why we're being generous. That we can point people to Jesus. Help us to not shrug this off and try to tame your teaching, Jesus. But that we would take you seriously. And that we would see your example and just want to run with it. Holy Spirit, just inspire us with with the scriptures to do these things. Help us to, to not rest until we've began to do something. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.